You're listening to Mapleview Community Church Podcast. Well, this begins, last week actually began our living with the end in mind with the narrative of heaven, but now I want to get into some other things. I'm wanting, this isn't just some giant idol here, but it is part of our series that we're going to be talking about living with the end in mind. I don't know if all of you can see that. I don't, maybe I should bring them out a little bit. This is Nebby. I've named him. Um, in January, I introduced our 2023 theme is the year of wind and fire. At the moment when I introduced the theme, I was not thinking specifically about the last days. Yet in the last number of years, I've kind of touched upon it in the month of September. Yet wind and fire is one of the many signs occurring just before Christ's return. Now this should not come as a surprise to any of us here. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. They'll melt with fervent heat. And both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So living with the end in mind is this short mini-series wanting you to be unsettled at some level regarding where you will actually spend eternity. I started last week with a picture of heaven. But first, a joke. I need some levity in this. I heard about an old pastor who saw a little, was a little hard of hearing. One day he wasn't feeling so great, so he went to the doctor. A few days later, the doctor saw him out at the park with this beautiful woman by his side. And he seemed as happy as he could be. The doctor said, wow, you sure are feeling a lot better, aren't you? The pastor said, yes, doctor, I'm following your orders. You said, get a hot mama and stay cheerful. The doctor said, I didn't say that. I said, you got a hot murmur. <laughs> I was going to show you a picture of me and Jody as the old pastor in my But. So. Here's a question. How often do you seriously think about Jesus' return? I could never have imagined at the beginning of 2023 that our theme, Wind and Fire, would be one of the news stories of the year. Every week you hear news reports, record-breaking winds like Hurricane Idalia, the past week flooding the coast of Florida, or the gale-force winds of Hurricane Franklin passing the Maritimes. Or Cyclone Freddy, winds lasting more than a month in the month of March, bringing destruction to Madagascar and Mozambique. Then there are the winds of the E4 tornadoes that have torn through the south and midwest U.S. From the winds, we move to the fires, wildfires. We have to look no further than our own country, Canada. Canada has literally been on fire with all 13 provinces and territories experiencing unprecedented fires. Fires that have approximately burned 15 million hectares, which is 38 million acres of land this far this year. 
The 10-year average of fires burning in Canada have only burned 2.2 million hectares. We're at 15, and they're predicting that it's not even ready to stop. We've seen wildfires that have devastated the land of Maui and Hawaii. And if you do a little research, you discover that Chile battled their deadliest wildfires on record this year. In March, Spain was on fire. In May, it was the wildfires in Russia's Ural Mountains of Siberia. June, it was the wildfires of southwest Turkey that were out of hand. Fires, wind and fire. My series this morning, beginning with the living with the end in mind, my message title is Tormented and Tired, and we're going to get to this statue in just a minute. Tormented and Tired. I feel as if the last number of years have caused a lot of torment and weariness in people's lives all around the globe. And maybe there are some even here feeling after all that has befallen you, you're feeling tired. And it's hard not to feel crushed or perplexed or struck down, but you do not need to be that way. Growing in knowledge of God, and this, is, this becomes key, growing in your knowledge of God and understanding of biblical prophecy and what's happening globally, if you understand, you will, it will birth confidence that God is leading us at these days and these moments, somewhere specifically. David Jeremiah, the pastor of Shadow Mountain Community Church, wrote this. He says, the earth isn't lurching into the future any more than it's wobbling into its orbit. It's moving toward a rendezvous with Jesus Christ. So to be clear, what's this few messages are going to be about? Living with the end of mind has two, a two-fold objective, in my opinion. Firstly, I want to remind you all of Jesus' return. There's coming a day when Jesus' return will establish his millennial kingdom known as the thousand-year reign that is drawing closer. Living within the end in mind, I need you to at least put within your context the return of Jesus. We may not know the exact day nor the hour of his second coming, but it is imminent. And it needs to be as important to the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, as the incarnation, the coming of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas, or his resurrection that we celebrate at Easter. The return of Christ is as important a doctrine of belief that that you have in anything else. Secondly, to remind you that it is appointed once for men to die and then the judgment. Listen. Listen. However it shakes out in the days ahead, you're all going to meet Jesus one day face to face. So that being said, are you living with the end in mind? Is your life reflecting that thought, that idea that you could meet Jesus at any time? So Bible prophecy are signposts. Bible prophecy is like signposts from God directing his children toward the kingdom. Prophecies of the Old Testament, New Testament, Daniel and Revelation are directing us somewhere. It's giving us insight in where we're at in our world. As Christians, it's vital if you want to flourish in God's highest and best to understand some of the things that are going on. It changes the way you think when you understand some of these things. To be able to connect Bible prophecy with the past world history as well as current global effects, uh, events, is super important. If you don't understand it, you're going to be running around just worried and fearful and scared, or, or you're going to be angry and bitter and resentful. 
Those who can connect Bible prophecy with current culture will have a great advantage in staying at peace within themselves. As chaos of the unfolding wickedness in the people you know, along with the evil events transpiring in the globe, around the globe, you're going to be able to be at peace. Because you understand we're moving, God's moving us somewhere, and we're all right with that because we trust him. And you can see it. Followers who have no understanding or very little understanding of biblical prophecy happening around them are going to feel confused and distracted and not knowing which way to turn. So for us this morning, it all begins in the most amazing city that the world has ever seen potentially. An empire so large that it included present-day Kuwait, Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Israel, Lebanon, and Turkey. So big the empire was. A city of massive walls said to be 56 miles long, 320 feet high, and wide enough that four horse-driven chariots could be driven on the top together. There was lush hanging gardens, fountains of gold, archways and temples reaching skyward to various deities throughout the, throughout the entire city. The entire city built by arguably the richest and most powerful leader the world has ever known, including today. Yet even the great Nebuchadnezzar, ruler of Babylon, could not stop bad dreams from tormenting him and tiring him out. The book of Daniel is one of the most unique and remarkable books in the entire Bible. It's kind of listed with the prophets, but it's not really, he's not really a prophet. He's a, and it's not really a history book, although it shares history. It's kind of lumped in there. The book of Daniel in the Old Testament is equivalent to the book of Revelation in the New Testament. But unlike John, the Christ follower, given the dream in Revelation, it was to a megalomaniac, pagan, worshiping king that the dream was given to, this dream. The most despicable, possibly, person on the planet. Imagine what church leaders would say today if someone so awful came to you with a dream and said, I think this could be of God. This man, Nebuchadnezzar, had a Christ encounter a world leader, think of this today, a world leader from a corrupt nation whose population regularly practiced sorcery, magic, with incant incantations while worshiping at a demonic entity of gold called Marduk found at heathen temples throughout this incredible city. Yet the pagan kid Nebuchadnezzar received a revelation from the living God. He got a dream. He had a dream. You, you need to understand at some level, and this is hard for followers, especially in, we're just in our little location. There is no one on the planet that God cannot use. Nowhere on the planet that is his ability to reach into. No one nowhere is immune from God's spirit. That's a good thing, and that can be a bad thing. 
The vision goes back in time, 2,600 years, to the year 540 B.C., and is one of the most powerful revelations in all of Scripture. It's a prophetic timeline in Daniel, chapter 2, if you want to follow, Daniel chapter 2, has a prophetic timeline of future events that outline the stages of history in advance of them occurring in order that you and I may understand what is to come. And we are now seeing them come to pass. It's a weird dream that torments the powerful pagan king of wicked Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is vexed night after night as sleep eludes him in seeking to understand the dream's meaning and message. In the pagan world center of heathen rituals regularly taking place, sorcerers, magicians, and the wise men of Babylon could not interpret the dream. In the midst of the most potentially demonic communities who worshipped, they couldn't, couldn't figure it out, the dream. Only Daniel, an exiled slave of the living God of Israel, along with his three intercessory friends, we might see them later on in the book of Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, through prayer, was given the interpretation of the dream for the world's most powerful but tormented and tired leader. I just, God just blows you away in how he moves outside and is unlimited to our box that we put him in. What follows is really the start of Living with the End in Mind series and leads to the importance of understanding biblical prophecy. The vision of the great statue and this was the statue. And by the way, where do you find a giant statue like this? You, you don't find it. You, you get Carla to make it for you. <laughs> Carla built this. She carved this. It's a... You say, why do you even go about... I want this dream of Nebuchadnezzar to be fixed in all of your lives. And hopefully you'll remember this picture. The vision of the great statue, and she just started it yesterday, by the way. She finished it. Oh, that's not true. The vision of the great statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream is an image uh, that lays the groundwork for the future history of the planet in this story. That's why the book of Daniel is so incredible. This statue, in God's way, reveals the entire history of mankind from that moment forward. In his dream, God reveals to Nebuchadnezzar a massive statue. The head was of pure gold. Its chest and arms were made of silver. The stomach and thighs were made of bronze and had two legs of iron. The feet and toes were a mix of iron and clay. Now, you might want to come up close to look at it. By the way, keep your children away from it, okay? <laughs> this is one thing we don't want them to. It's very heavy. The Nebuchadne then Nebuchadnezzar saw a rock cut by an invisible hand. The rock flew through the air and hit the statue, making it fall and breaking into a million fragments that were blown away by wind like dust. The rock then began to grow and soon became a mountain so large it covered the entire earth. This was the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and he was looking for his sorcerers and magicians to interpret it. He actually said to him, okay, I'm going to make this a bit. Tell me what my dream was, and then interpret it. And none, that's, that's, nobody can do that. 
Well, well, there's one that can do that, God. Then God gives Daniel the outline of world history, starting with the Babylonian Empire. It starts in the moment, in the present moment of the dream, and stretches to our time. Let me read it to you. Daniel chapter 2, verse 38, begins with, this is Daniel's interpretation of this incredible statue and dream. You are the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. After that, another inferior kingdom inferior to you shall rise up. And then yet another kingdom of bronze, which will rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. Now this is what was seen in 2,500 years ago, 500 years before the coming of Christ. Scholars almost universally believe that Nebuchadnezzar's dream represents four kingdoms in ancient history. The gold being his kingdom, huge. Followed by an attempt in the last days to create another single empire all the way down in the last days to rule over the earth. Gold, as I said, is Babylon. No guessing that one. You don't have to guess about that one because Babylon itself was this incredible, amazing achievement that Daniel says that it's you, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Babylon's considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It, to do a little, like, you know, I wish I had all the pictures that people have put together. It's absolutely stunning. 56 miles long, 320 feet high. Then Daniel says, after your kingdom, it will be taken from you, and it's represented by the Medes and the Persians, the Persians. Ma'am and Ali and Nada and Payam, they would be of Persian descent. Kingdom would rule after Babylon. It would be glory, it would be incredible, and it would be strong and powerful nation, the Medes and the Persians. Followed we may not know as much about the Medes and the Persians, but we certainly would know the bronze, the Greek, Greece. Alexander the Great. We're moving down. Alexander the Great, who conquered the known world of his day. Interesting side note is that his soldiers were outfitted in helmets and breastplates and shields made of bronze. The legs, the iron, Rome. The Iron Legions of Rome, they were known as. This kingdom would be as strong as iron, an unstoppable empire in the beginning, but made of a mixture of different people who would not hold together, if you understand some of history. Interestingly, the empire of Rome would not be conquered, but would deteriorate over many centuries. And it would actually be split into two different empires over time. There would be the Holy Roman Empire and the Byzantine Empire, two lakes. I know some is this, I don't want to be boring as I'm going somewhere. Some of you may be interested in the history. 
The final image is of iron and clay, not really an empire, feet way down here, you, but an attempt at an empire, the empire of the Antichrist, one final attempt at globalization and world domination over man by Satan. Daniel's first prophetic interpretation ends with a sacred stone breaking it into pieces in the, the mixed image of clay and stone. I want to read that to you. Verse 44, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. This is in Daniel. This is 2,500 years from when we live now, 500 years before Christ, 500 years prior to the revelation John received of the millennial kingdom being set up. He'll set up this kingdom and it will never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and one and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall what shall be after this. Daniel says, The dream is certain in its interpretation, sure. So, this is this amazing dream that he gets. As the 21st century followers of Christ, you have been given unparalleled information and knowledge of the events leading up to the second coming of Christ on earth. Unparalleled. The first four empires have come and gone. We don't deal with Rome or Persia or Greece or Babylonian Empire. They've come and gone. Only the iron and clay toes remain in the culmination before the stone the builders rejected comes to establish his thousand-year reign. Not only that, but as you follow the statue down, and I think this is unique, you see the deterioration of the world over the years. Starts with gold, silver, bronze, iron, iron and clay mixture. The slow progression of decay over the years as time moves closer to clo and closer to the stone coming. From gold to silver to bronze to iron and then clay. As history draws to a close, you will see the deterioration of the world and the earth as we know it. Just as it's a picture. Holes in the ozone. Climate deteriorating, rainforests disappearing. Governments once for people will deteriorate. Political corruption, economy will deteriorate. Food will deteriorate. This goes on and on. Wars, famines, natural disasters becoming more and more extreme. Sound like someplace you're living right now? The dream given to Nebuchadnezzar was five centuries before Christ's first coming and is God's map for his children of what is to come. The statue is a map of history that revealed the rise and fall of future empires. It moves through the years to the very final days of human civilization. Yet I want to remind you today of the God who initiated human life also controls history 
and he alone will bring it to a desired end. Now this becomes important to you and I. You see, it's not the power of world leaders, kings, queens, presidents, prime ministers, dictators, using their armies and strategies. It's not who gets elected for, Christ, for the Christ follower or who doesn't get elected. It is true. What is happening around the globe is all a part of the plans and purposes of God that no one can change. 2,500 years ago, this was given. Now, I get it. Listen. Not all events written centuries ago could always be understood when first revealed. They're even hard to grasp now. I get it. But as the day of Jesus' return comes closer and closer, ancient prophecies become clearer and clearer. We can see them. It's like not being able to see what kind of bird is in the tree from a plane as you fly overhead. But as you get off the plane and you walk closer and closer to the tree, ah, that's a robin. Things are becoming clearer to you and I, or they ought to be coming clearer to you and I than they were in our grandfather's day, in our great-grandfather's day. Distance and perspective change our understanding and view, and right now, unfolding before your eyes is the iron and clay of Daniel's 2,500-year-ago interpretation. I'll go into a little bit more of that later in another message. I'll share more of next week about some of the specifics of the clay and the feet. The globalization, the last significant empire trying to be established right now under the head of the Antichrist. It's going to be. Living with the end in the mind, with the end in mind for the Bible believer, is not placing our faith in the ability of human beings to deliver us. The church is not looking for spirit we ought not to be looking for the next super-duper power leader. If you are, you're looking at something that God is warning you against. And I'm not a pessimist. I'm a biblicist, a Bibleist. I'm not living in discouragement and fear. But I'm not expecting the world to get better and better and better either. 2 Timothy 3 does not say, in the last days, wonderful times shall come. It says, perilous times shall come. So my desire is to reflect the slave Daniel's example. Somehow this has to come alive for, for us. Like, is it just all pie in the sky? Is, it just, is this really impact us? Yes, it can. Doing my best to live content in a bad situation. That's what Daniel had to do. He was a slave. He was exiled. While giving as much help as I can to the tormented and tired that I find myself around in hopes that, like Daniel, bringing measure of all is not lost to King Nebuchadnezzar, that if you genuinely repent and turn your life over completely to Jesus... There's hope. There always is hope. Living with the end in mind takes me to that moment in time when, if you weren't here last week, in the glorious kingdom of God. 
that awaits, that the best is yet to come. That living for Jesus right now, understanding where we're at, does not cause me fear or grief or worry or concern, or I'm not upset, I'm not angry, I'm not... No. Trusting more. Looking to Jesus more. Wanting to understand. Helping others. You know, the goal of the church is, in my opinion, is pretty singular for me. It's seeing one more person come to Christ. It's about a lot of things. Unity and fellowship and discipleship and learning and growing and teaching and worship and singing and making money and sharing money and building things. and do. It has to lead to people going into all the world and touching people for Christ. That's why he came. Not for stuff, not for things. And as if we're genuinely understanding the signs of the time and if we genuinely live with the end in mind, our lives will be transformed and we'll be doing things totally different. Let me close with the benediction from Daniel chapter 2. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. May that be for you and I this morning. Amen? Well, Nebby, we're going to see you around in the next couple weeks. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, clay. We have a lot to do in these next number of months and years. As long as the Lord gives us breath, we want to be about our Father's business. Amen? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you that this morning you are challenging each and every one of us to begin to live with the end in mind. That, Lord, whether it's your return that will take us, that will meet you in the air, or whether it's our time to meet you just from natural ways, I pray, God, that we'd all be ready. We'd all be right before you. That we would have made our peace with God. And that we wouldn't live with torment or being tired any longer. But that, Lord Jesus, you would set us free and deliver us from the things of this world. And that we would serve you wholeheartedly for the rest of the days of our life. In Jesus' name. And everybody would say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're listening to Maple View Community Church Podcast. Mm-hmm.